My mother used to say, don't applaud, just throw money. <laughs> My mom had a great sense of humor. I miss her. In 1899, the Oswego, New York newspaper reported an incident on the local rail line. It recounted how an already sour-faced woman on a particularly hot day boarded the train only to discover she had inadvertently boarded the smoking car. And there, the only available seat was right next to a man enthusiastically puffing on a large cigar. Now, her nose quickly told her that he had also recently been eating onions <laughs> and drinking beer. And the combination of those three scents quickly made her lose hers. She began to fuss and squirm and make her disgust visible to everybody on the train. If looks could have killed, hers would have wiped out a neighborhood. And finally, with obvious disdain etched on her face and escalating wrath obvious in her tone, she looked him in the eye and said, if you were my husband, I'd give you a dose of poison. To which he immediately responded, if I were your husband, I'd take it. <laughs> that encounter over the years was attributed to all kinds of other people, but the actual initial encounter was in Oswego, New York. Now, the article didn't report the woman's response. But I think it's safe to say the gentleman's response didn't do anything to decrease her wrath. Today we're going to consider what the book of Proverbs has to say about responding to words of wrath directed our way, whether they're targeted at us directly or indirectly. And I think you would agree it's a relevant topic because we are currently immersed in what some have called a pandemic of wrath. People are infuriated with their spouses, their parents, their children, their neighbors, their political opponents, their employers, their employees, other drivers, and the list goes on and on. And as we're going to see, the root of this pandemic is clearly spiritual. But there are social and economic dynamics that exacerbate it. News outlets, social media know that fear and anger are potent emotions for driving engagement. There is money to be made pitting people against one another. And there's even a formula for it. Find the craziest characters in the opposing camp and suggest that they are typical of everybody in that camp. It's called nut-picking, and it allows each side to scorn and mock the other, all with a great sense of moral superiority. Now, before we consider today's text, I want to highlight two realities we need to recognize if we're going to understand and apply any biblical proverb. First is this recognition. Our response to God's commands is most influenced by the way we see them. And they can be seen either positively or negatively. Now, Satan understands that principle if we don't. 
That's why his initial attack against the human family was the carefully worded suggestion that God's command regarding the fruit of the tree was a conspiracy birthed in God's insecurity, a plot intended to keep them from becoming God's equals. And once Adam and Eve viewed God's command through that negative lens, their disobedience was a foregone conclusion. The second reality is a continuation of the first. We are more likely to see God's commands positively if we see them as invitations rather than demands. Because none of us, let's be real, none of us respond well to demands. When somebody levels a demand upon us, our first impulse is to say no, even if we recognize the demand is in our best interest. Why? Because demands feel like a threat to our imaginary freedom and autonomy. We feel like we'll lose something by giving in to a demand. In contrast, invitations, well, they feel like offers that respect and acknowledge our freedom and autonomy. There's a great difference between taste and see that the Lord is good and taste or else. (laughs) Now, given my legalistic church upbringing, it took me a long time to see God's commands as invitations to freedom. I always thought to obey God is to lose something. It took me a long time to learn to obey God is to gain something. Once I learned the difference, it was a game changer. Now, what do those two realities have to do with today's proverb? I would suggest everything. Because no matter how they're worded, more than being demands, God's proverbs are simply invitations to greater freedom. Jesus said he came that our lives might be more abundant. And I like to think the book of Proverbs just breaks that abundance down into bite-sized pieces. So with that, we're going to consider the first six words of Proverbs 15. Just six words. Why such a small sample? It's my opinion a lot of preaching assumes too much and explains too little. And I don't want to be guilty of either one. So as we focus on these six words, I'll do my best to address why they're necessary and what they actually mean. And then because knowing what they mean doesn't mean we'll apply them, I'll point out things that will help you apply them. Things like how this proverb actually works and why obeying it is in everybody's best interest, including your own. Our text is Proverbs 15, the first half of verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Other versions, translations say a soft answer turns away wrath. That's the more familiar way we hear this verse quoted, and that's the translation we're going to take today as we discuss winning over wrath. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know I have never been able to preach and teach your word apart from the empowering and equipping of your Holy Spirit. That never changes, and it's a liberating confession. So today I pray for a fresh infilling for this never-to-be-repeated moment. And I pray it not only for myself, but for all of us, 
that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I pray it for the honor of Christ and in his name. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. Any honest reading of God's Word makes it abundantly clear that God cares deeply about the words we speak. He knows our words reveal who we are and shape who we are becoming. They reveal our loves and our loyalties. They represent Him and His kingdom. They impact the lives of others. They map out our lives, and they define and protect the borders of our lives. Words have the power to build up or to destroy, to cement a relationship or to cancel it, to open doors for dialogue or slam them shut. And words have the power to either advance God's cause in the world or discredit it before the world. So knowing all of that, Proverbs 15 opens with a statement about words, but not just any words, words spoken in wrath. It begins with an assumption. It assumes we're all going to be the targets of wrath or words spoken in wrath. It just assumes that. That's why the proverb's necessary. Now, Solomon didn't make his assumption because he was a pessimist. And he wasn't projecting his own painful experiences onto other people. No, Solomon made the assumption about negative, wrath-filled words because he was a realist. Proverbs assumes wrath-filled speech because it assumes the brokenness of fallen humanity. God knows unbelief and sin never, never produce a sense of certainty or security. When our soul's out of tune with our Creator, it's out of tune with itself, with His creation, and with our fellow human beings. And apart from God's restoring work, we feel that dissonance in our souls. We sense things aren't as they should be. And over time, that dissonance gives birth to disappointment and guilt and insecurity and chronic pain. Because insecure hearts are easily wounded with wounds that aren't easily healed. And chronic pain, we know, produces anger and resentment and wrath. That's why as our culture continues with its accelerating move away from God's truth, both in society and in the professing church, we have seen an epidemic of wrath. Wrath is one of the unavoidable deficits of unbelief. Now, knowing the power of words, God always chooses his words carefully, and we need to study them with equal care. And toward that end, I want to point out that human wrath is more intense than human anger. Think of it as anger on steroids. It usually stems from deep-seated resentment and misguided moral indignation. And it always has a craving for retribution and the harm of those it perceives to be its enemies. That's why the same Bible that speaks of righteous human anger and even calls us to be angry but without sin 
never speaks of righteous human wrath and never calls us to have wrath without sin because human wrath always involves sin. And words born in sin are ugly. They're harsh. They have sharp edges. They're accusatory. The words of wrath feel insulting, adversarial, downright hateful because they are hateful. And they always hurt no matter our opinion of the speaker. But while Proverbs 15 assumes words of wrath, it doesn't assume our response because we have a choice. We can respond negatively or redemptively. Now, before we unpack what a redemptive response involves, I want to point out something that will help you make one. Our expectations greatly influence our spiritual and emotional responses. If you understand why there's so much wrath in this world, when you find yourself on the receiving end of it, rather than asking, why me? You'll be able to ask, why not me? There's a huge difference between those two options. Why me encourages a sense of self-pity and the feeling of victimhood. Why not me encourages a biblical outlook on life, a ministry mindset, and a sense of opportunity. Why not me says, why should I skate through this broken world and never encounter human brokenness and wrath, especially given the fact God has equipped me to do something positive about it? In short, if you're going to apply the wisdom offered here, don't take everything personally because everything isn't personal. Most of the wrath in this world has very little to do with you very little to do with you. Now, a negative response to words of wrath, it doesn't need a proverb. doesn't need instruction. We come by negative responses naturally. When we're bombarded with harsh words, what's our first impulse? Fight fire with fire. Give as good as we got. Ratchet it up. If someone brings our mama into the outburst, we'll bring their mama and Uncle Ray and Cousin Pookie into the outburst. And those kind of responses are like pouring fire, or pouring gasoline, excuse me, on a fire in an attempt to quench it. The results are disastrous for both our attacker and ourselves. So God offers a radically different option, a soft answer. Now, the word soft isn't primarily about volume. It's about the origin of the answer, the intent of the answer, the content of the answer. So let me suggest a working definition. A soft answer is a powerful, spirit-led response that may stop the momentum of evil in the other person and will stop it in us. Now, let's dissect that. First, the words soft and powerful. They initially sound contradictory. They are not. Because a soft answer doesn't imply that you're soft. It doesn't indicate you're fearful, you're intimidated, 
It doesn't mean you're pleading guilty to the other person's accusations. It means you have made a God-empowered choice to respond to an attack of human wrath with words that can liberate that other person from their wrath, words that quench wrath rather than inflame it, words that have the potential to stop evil in its tracks and give life. And words that can stop evil and give life are powerful, powerful. So rightly understood, a soft answer is a word of great power because it points to the healing only a powerful God can supply. It doesn't indicate you lack courage. It indicates you have a calling. It doesn't signal your surrender to the other person. It signals your surrender to God. Second, a soft answer is spirit-led. It doesn't have its origin in your intellect, your creativity, your will, or your emotions. It's not the best thing you can come up with. It has its origin in the Holy Spirit. So before you speak it, you first have to hear it, and you have to know that what you're hearing is from God. And the ability to hear God and know it is God and not yourself is what the Bible calls discernment. And discernment isn't automatic. It isn't the inevitable result of walking with God over a long period of time. One of my favorite old preachers, Vance Havner, used to say, spiritual birthdays only tell us how long we've been on the road. They don't tell us how far we've traveled. And you say, well, I've been following Jesus for 30 years. It doesn't mean you have discernment. I've met a lot of kingdom veterans who don't have discernment. And I've met people new in the kingdom who have a lot of discernment. Discernment doesn't just fall on you. It's the fruit of continually, consciously cultivating the ability to hear the Spirit, know it's the Spirit, and follow the Spirit. It's the result of praying for discernment and putting legs to your prayers. And discernment isn't learned in a day, and it isn't acquired overnight. It's the result of what somebody called a long obedience in the same direction. So if you want to discern God's voice in the occasional moment when you're confronted with wrath, you have to learn to discern it in all moments of life. Third, A soft answer has the potential to stop the momentum of evil in the other person. Potential. I know the proverb says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And that sounds like the outcome is guaranteed. And as you'll see in a moment, I believe it is. But I don't believe the guarantee applies to the person speaking the words of wrath. Why? Well, as we've been seeing in Proverbs, people frequently refuse God's wisdom, God's instructions, and the opportunities for something better. And Scripture is chock full of examples of human wrath that had the opportunity to respond to God's grace, but just increased the wrath. If a person is determined to pursue wrath, they're going to pursue wrath no matter what you say. 
Fourth, a soft spirit-led answer will always stop the influence of evil in the one who speaks it. And I believe that's where the guarantee comes into play. You see, when you as a believer are assaulted by words of wrath, the powers of spiritual evil that we wage war against and that wage war against us will always attempt to seize that opportunity to infiltrate your soul, to implant spiritual poison, to increase the influence of the flesh, to fuel a desire for vengeance, and to decrease the influence of the Holy Spirit. But when you as a Jesus follower say no to the impulse to fight fire with fire and instead say yes to the Holy Spirit's direction, evil is defeated in you and your progress and growth in grace is advanced. So it's my conviction that the guarantee about wrath being turned away is the wrath that comes to you. As a temptation. You can't control the other person, but by God's grace, you can control your response. Now, I'd like to offer some final observations in no particular order. First, sometimes the best soft response is silence. <laughs> See, if you feel the need to respond to every word of wrath, or every matter of heated debate. You have a problem bigger than what people say. You have a problem with who you are and what you think of yourself. C.S. Lewis said, I have often repented of my speech, but never of my silence. <laughs> Second, the word turn turns away wrath. It doesn't imply or guarantee immediate results. Because how many of you know spiritual and emotional turns are rarely immediate? Our transformation usually consists of a series of small course adjustments taken over time. And then we find ourselves going in a new direction. And those adjustments are the result of God giving us multiple opportunities for increased awareness of our brokenness and his grace. I remember when I first came to ACAC almost 40 years ago, God gave me a number of words of knowledge about what he was going to do, timetable, number of people. God gave me those things in advance. I didn't share them because I didn't want people to think I was just yet another goal setter. So I just kept them to myself, but God fulfilled every one of them exactly. And God told me he was going to bring renewal and he was going to bring growth, but he also indicated it would take quite a while. He even gave me a number of years. And in those early days, when the change we were praying for wasn't yet unfolding, and people would ask me, why the slow pace? The Lord just gave me this response, because turning a congregation is like turning an ocean liner. You can't do it on a dime. And years later, I was reading an article that talked about turning an ocean liner. And it said it takes 25 square miles of ocean 
to turn an ocean liner. Spiritual turns are complicated. They take time. Third, always remember, God's work in others is never entirely dependent upon you. That, that, is, that is a great thing to know. If you take the full responsibility for changing crazy Uncle Bill, you're setting yourself up for all kinds of unnecessary heartache. None of us bear the full responsibility for helping anybody turn from their wrath. God may use 20 different people over a period of 10 years to influence that turn. So when the person on the receiving end of your soft answer doesn't immediately turn from their wrath, don't doubt the proverb and don't doubt the process. And on the flip side, if your speaking of that soft answer doesn't immediately defeat Satan's attack against you, if you still find yourself wrestling with thoughts and emotions that you wouldn't want to be public knowledge... Don't doubt the proverb and don't doubt the process. Spiritual renewal rarely happens instantaneously and it rarely happens overnight. Fourth, here's good news. If you learn to give a soft answer, you'll likely encounter more people filled with wrath. (laughs) Amen? Yeah, that's a hearty amen. See, because God has called us to be extensions of his heart, messengers of his grace, messengers of his hope. Once we understand that and mature to where we can offer soft answers, God will send broken people our way because he knows he can trust us with them. God wants people filled with wrath to instead be filled with peace. And once he finds a son or daughter who understands that, he'll send some broken people their way. You see, the closer you get to God, the more he trusts you with broken and angry people. So don't say, why me? Thank God it can be me. See the difference? Fifth, to control the words you speak. This is important. You must first control the words you hear. Because as we learned to say a number of decades ago, garbage in, garbage out. If you live on a constant diet of smug, self-righteous, angry, hate-filled, ratings-driven media, that specializes in wrath and resentment and retribution, in denigrating and vilifying those evil others who have nothing more to do but plot the ruin of your life and your world and your country, you will not be discerning of the Holy Spirit. And you will not be able to offer a soft answer to wrath because you cannot advance God's agenda with the devil's heart, with the devil's vocabulary, with the devil's tools, and with the devil's words. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not carnal. One of my great disappointments is that a large segment of the American church 
now bears far more resemblance to the leaven of the Pharisees than to the kingdom of God. They're more like the people who crawled for Jesus' crucifixion than the people who followed him. And I'm persuaded if Jesus were to speak in a large majority of America's churches, they would throw him out. Because we now act like the kingdom is of this world and the way to gain it is through political power or the illusion of that. And today people will assemble under the name of Jesus and spout wrath and hatred. And then they wonder why their children walk away. Here's why, because their children have a brain. You listen to that stuff, you won't be listening to the Holy Spirit. And finally, if a soft answer makes you feel you're losing, it's because you have a deficient view of winning. When you respond to hurting people with healing speech, you aren't allowing them to win some imaginary contest of wills. You're allowing yourself to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, move into greater freedom and wholeness and power, and you're offering them a taste of something better than what they've got. Why did I entitle this teaching, Winning Over Wrath? Two reasons. One, when you learn to offer a spirit-led answer, you can win over the wrath that is in that other person and lead them into something better. But when you offer a spirit-led answer, you will always win over the wrath that the enemy is attempting to implant in your own soul. And entertaining wrath is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. In a world filled with wrath, hear the proverb. Don't doubt the proverb. Don't doubt the process. There's a better way. Some people may call you a traitor to the cause if you take the better way. Who cares? Who cares? When you stand before Jesus, there's only one opinion in the universe that's got to matter. And it won't be what they said. It'll be what he's about to say. Amen? Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father in a wrath-filled world, help us to be a grace-filled people. In a demonized world, help us to be a set-apart, spirit-filled people. Help us to add to the momentum of grace and not the momentum of wrath. We pray that in Jesus' great name. Amen. I'd like you to stand for the benediction. And I'd like those who customarily stand at the front to be available to pray with people. Would you come now? because in just a second I'm going to give the benediction. It'll be harder for you to get here after I do that. And for all of you, if you want somebody to pray for you and with you, if you need God in a human voice today, please come and see any of these folks here at the front. Most of them are decent people. There are a few questionable ones. <laughs> but you, you come and they will pray for you, all right? Now may the grace of God enable you to navigate a wrath-filled world with a spirit-filled response. God bless you.